Well, good morning, everyone. Hello, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the um, I'm Chris Macedo. I'm the worship arts pastor here, to be more specific. It's so good to be here with all of you, to see all of you here. So full disclosure, I am not supposed to be here, standing here right now. Around 6.30 this morning, I look over and I see a name on my phone that I don't want to see at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> it says Talbot Davis. And every instinct in me was, don't pick up. So um, I picked up anyways, and I hear this, hey, Chris, uh, hey, I think I'm sick, I can't talk. And I was like, oh, great. He goes, so I was wondering if you could, you know, preach. And I was like, <laughs> next reaction is, um, I think he was calling the other Chris, Chris Thayer, not Chris Macedo. Um, no, so he, I, I said, no, you might want to call somebody else. Um, so he was like, I'll call Devin. And I was like, good call. And uh, so then he hung up the phone, and I decided to jump up and get ready. And even as I was getting ready for this morning, I thought, you know, no, I, I could say some things about grace this morning. Grace has impacted my life, and I think I have a lot to say about it. And so we, we texted back, and, um, you know, I'm glad to do it. I, I will say that I could hear maybe, might have, this is not confirmed, this is probably not true, but I thought I could hear the sound of waves lapping over sand um, <laughs> in the background. Um, while he was sick. No, but for the first time, for the first time in like 30 something years, I think it was 32 is what he sent me in a text earlier. Um, this is the first time he's missed giving a sermon because he was sick on a Sunday morning. So that's pretty incredible. So we're really grateful for our pastor and the, and the health and the longevity that he's had, um, uh, just the streak he's been able to have. I mean, that's way better than like Cal Ripken Jr., I'm convinced. So baseball, that's a, sorry, that's a weird like baseball thing. If you're a baseball fan, you know. But like, he, he's just been so faithful to uh, serving this church and we're so grateful for his ministry and for him having the guts and courage to let me stand up here uh, and be able to talk with you all about grace. So, well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. We are in this series called Graceland, and today we're going to be talking all about why grace is so amazing. What is so amazing about grace? We know the song. We've probably heard Amazing Grace at some point in our life, written by John Newton, who was the um, ex-captain of, uh, of a ship that carried slaves from Africa. Um, and uh, this whole song kind of flows out of his testimony of being impacted by the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ in his life, and he turned his life around, and that's where the song comes from. And I love that song, and that song probably has a lot to do with what our talk is gonna be about today. And I think when we think about grace, and we think about the impact that grace has had on our life, the grace of God, I believe that generally speaking, we, we understand the part about it that we are saved by grace. It's something we talk about all the time here at Good Shepherd. And that's just, that, that's just simply an acknowledgement that we are saved by the work of God, this gift of God given to us freely. But there's another part of grace that I think sometimes we as Christians have a tendency to kind of ignore. I want to teach you guys a couple of words. One of them you may have heard before, and another one may be brand new for you. We're going to put those up on the screen. The first word is orthodoxy, which you may have heard of before. But to kind of boil it down to its simplest terms, it means right thinking, and then the next word is orthopraxy, and orthopraxy means right living. So you have orthodoxy, right thinking, orthopraxy, right living. Now, a lot of us in the Christian faith, especially on the Protestant side of the, the, Protestant side of the world, we, we major in orthodoxy. Like, we major in this idea that I'm saved by grace, not, and we'll talk about that scripture in just a second, 
But we're so majored on that part of it that sometimes some of our other brothers in other parts of the Christian faith, they major sometimes a little bit too much maybe in orthopraxy, in right living. You have to live a certain way, do a certain thing, be a certain person, do it just right, because if you don't, then none of it really matters. But I don't think that orthodoxy and orthopraxy are meant to live in competition with each other. Both of them should be equally embraced in our lives, and they're held in tension by this mysterious work of God in our lives. It's not an either or, it's both. We need to have right thinking and right living in our lives. I wanna kinda give you an example in scripture, a couple examples of what orthodoxy looks like and orthopraxy looks like. So the first one I wanna have go up on the screen, and before I do that, I wanna pray and ask you all to pray for me. I greatly appreciate that. So God, thank you so much for your grace and the grace you've given me to have the opportunity to stand in front of these um, beautiful people to be able to talk about and lift up the scriptures. And we love the scriptures, God. We love the, the Bible, that it, this library. We love the, uh, the power and impact it has in our life because it has authority in our lives. Because of it, we've gotten to know our Savior better. We get to know who you are, Father, and how much you love us. Every time we open these, these, these scriptures and we read these words and as they jump off the pages, we're reminded of your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, would you fill me fresh and new? The top of my head, the bottom of my feet. I pray you do that for the, all those that are here with us gathered together. All my friends here, would you fill them with your spirit too and teach us. We love you, God, and we praise you and do this all in Christ's name. Amen. So the first scripture I want to pull up for you that kind of demonstrates kind of that tension, or not the tension, but the beauty of orthodoxy and orthopraxy is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now, this is the passage I almost started to quote, and some of you who have been Christians for a long time, this is one that you're going to be very familiar with. Let's go ahead and put it up there. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works. So you're saved by grace, not by works. So that way you can't boast about it and say, I saved myself. That's orthodoxy. That is right thinking. We think this way. But if we stop here, which a lot of us do, we memorize this passage of scripture, and it's great if you do. I believe it's a great one to kind of just tuck away in your heart as you remember and you think about the grace of God. It's a great way to think, right thinking. What about orthopraxy, right living? Read the next verse. Keep going. Ephesians is this beautiful letter. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You've been saved by grace, not by works, but guess what? You've been created to do good works. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right thinking, right living. Another example of this is in the letter of Titus. This is Paul writing to Titus, and this is chapter 2. And we're going to put up, I believe, verse 11. Right thinking, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Right thinking, grace of God has appeared that offers this gift of salvation to all people. Orthopraxy, next verse. It, what is it? Grace. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
So grace saves us. We know this, right? We think this, orthodoxy, but then we also know orthopraxy says that this grace is then doing something else in our lives. It's still doing something. It's active. It's not, I'm saved, I'm good, see y'all later. Do whatever I want. No. See, grace is this continuing work in our lives that is teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And it's a powerful gift in each one of our lives because if we think about it, and I know this is true in my life, the number of times that I have been tempted, the number of times I have dealt with sin in my own life that I said, eh, I can just get over this on my own. I can just say no. The reality is you can try, but it's not going to stick. You can only get so far because you're going to try to do it under your own strength and your own power. And time and time again, you're going to find yourself having to say no to the same thing every single day in your life. When, when grace has worked out on your life, you have some victory along the way. There are some times in your life where you can say no to something once and for all. And you can leave that old self behind and you can live into the new. But that same grace that when you do mess up, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we simply confess them to him. And that, that grace gets what? It's the gift that keeps on giving. And you start fresh and you receive the gift again. And guess what you do after that? You say no again. It's a beautiful gift. Gift, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right thinking, right living. So as it's played out in my life, you know, my story, as I kind of think about how I received that gift of grace, that amazing gift of grace, and how my life was changed and transformed by that grace. Some of you have heard my story or parts of my story before. I did not grow up as a Christian. I didn't, this all church thing was really foreign to me. And I joined the military right after I graduated from high school. And after I graduated from high school, I joined enlisted in the Air Force and left home, and I went to basic training in Texas. Now, while in Texas, on Sunday mornings, they offer the opportunity to go to chapel services. Let's just say that going to chapel services gets you out of doing more chores. And so suddenly, everyone becomes very religious on Sundays. <laughs> I being one of them. And so every week I would go to these different chapel services, and every week we'd stand around. It, would, it was a great time. It was a beautiful atmosphere, um, people singing their praises out. And, and we had this chaplain, um, a godly chaplain, a Christian chaplain, which was beautiful because sometimes it doesn't always work out that way anymore in the military. Pray for your military people that they are surrounded by godly chaplains, by the way. Make sure that's a prayer that you add to your list. But this chaplain, every week, he would pray and ask if there was anyone in the room who wanted to receive this grace of God. He said, Christ came that we may have life and that we would have it abundantly. And every week I was like, that's okay, but thanks for getting me out of chores. I'll see you next Sunday. And for about a few weeks, I would come back on Sunday and I would hear this message over and over and over again. And about the fourth or fifth week, they finally broke me down. And I thought to myself, you know what? I want the gift of God. I want grace. I want this abundant life. Sure, sign me up. I had no clue what any of this meant at all. I said yes to this. I went off to technical training for about five or six months. I did not walk with the Lord. I just kind of kept on the same patterns of my life. And then I went to my first duty assignment. My first duty assignment was in Ramstein Air Base in Germany. And I was going to be going overseas as a 19-year-old kid. I didn't know, don't know anyone. It's kind of like as, as a father with an 18-year-old 
daughter, the very thought of in a year from now, her living in a foreign country for the next several years is just, no thank you. No thank you. But it was a very important and pivotal part of my life. The very first day I walk into um, the dorms there in Germany, and the person showing me around walks me up to the room, he opens the door, and what I am confronted with is pigsty. It's the only way to kind of put it. This room is completely and totally, utterly trashed. There's boxes everywhere, there's clothes everywhere. I think there was trash. It smelled like trash, but it might have been, it was trash. The whole room was trash. And I said, I was just looked at the guy perplexed. He goes, oh, don't worry, this guy's being kicked out of the military. And I was like, oh boy, this isn't good. And I said, there's a couch and a bed. Where's the other bed? He goes, ah, he sleeps on the couch. And I said, okay. So I made myself at home the best I could. Well, this guy happened to have two really good friends. And these two really good friends showed up on Sunday morning, and they went to church with him, and they invited me to come with them. My response was, no, thank you. I'm jet-lagged. I don't want to go to church, and I don't know who you are. So they came back later on that afternoon, introduced themselves again. Now I know who they are. And they invited me to a church barbecue, to which I said, sure, I'll go to a church barbecue. And when I went to this church barbecue, my life was forever changed. I met a group of people who were so transformed by the grace of God. People who had said yes to God's grace, but I had seen the effect that grace was having in their lives on a daily basis. And I was hooked. And from that day on for the rest of my life, I devoted my life to the service of God in the church. I started serving right away. I think the next week I was there, the pastor's wife said, hey, you're our new sound engineer. And I said, am I? She goes, yeah, congratulations. And I said, I didn't even know what, I don't know what sound is. Um, I have no idea. And that began my journey along those paths. And so now I'm a brand new believer for about a year and I decide to go home on leave and in the military you get about 30 days of vacation. And I decided to spend all 30 of those visiting my mom and dad and brother. What a mistake that turned out to be. It's a long time to be with your family. And so I get back home and there was an instance where we were all, I believe, in like a Walmart um, uh, parking lot inside the car and my mom and dad and brother are just fighting, they're bickering. My brother's a teenager, acting like a teenager. And I believe at one point they were arguing about something and my brother called my dad cheap. And probably fair, my dad's a little cheap. And so it was kind of this, this moment where they're bickering back and forth and they're arguing and I'm getting angry. And I'm this brand new believer, this brand new follower of Jesus. And I'm like, you guys aren't doing this right at all. And I finally got loud and I spoke up. I said, I'll tell you what's wrong with this family. There's no God in this family. They all stopped fighting and they all looked at me and they started laughing. And I felt like an idiot, like a total fool. Like, I can't believe I just said that out loud, but I meant it. So I leave and I go back to Germany. And about a year or so later, um, some things keep working out in my life. And uh, this is where music comes in, by the way. I didn't grow up a musician. I didn't believe I had a musical bone in my body. And um, at around 20 years old, I decided that God had a call on my life, and it was to become a hip-hop artist. <laughs> yes. The real, real Slim Shady. And, um, <laughs> but I was going to do Christian music, and I was going to set it to hip-hop, because I loved hip-hop. I grew up in California, and so I just loved hip-hop music. And uh, so that's what I did. I bought this keyboard, and basically this keyboard was... Um, you, you pressed a button on it and it literally played the song for you. And I was like, music is so easy. And I was like, 
Press another button. Oh, it's like another song. This is way too easy. And for $150, I mean, this is way too easy. And so I did that for a little bit and I wrote some songs that got more into music with um, using technology and computers. And then um, I was singing one day at a hospitality house, a ministry to military folks. And the person there heard me singing and she said, hey, you have a nice voice, you should join our worship team. And I said, sure, why not? And I joined the worship team and I fell in love with being in the community of saints singing praises to God. And I took that keyboard that had one button on it, you pressed about six other buttons and it became a piano. And a friend of mine who was a worship leader gave me some tools and some ways to learn how to play the piano. About a year later, I picked up a guitar, learned to play guitar, and about, in less than about six months to a year, I was leading worship in churches. It was just a gift I didn't know I had, but it was something that God was working out in my life. Shortly after I picked up my guitar, I met um, this uh, amazing person, my wife, Lauren, and uh, she uh, and I hit it right off in about six weeks. We got to spend a lot of time with each other, and about six weeks later, I knew I wanted to marry her, and about maybe six weeks later, I asked her to marry me. So it was pretty quick. Um, I knew a good thing when I had found it, so did she. Um, <laughs> and I'm really grateful that she did, and uh, that she eventually said yes. Um, but yes, and then we got married, and um, kind of long story short, we ended up in Colorado where that gift of music continued to grow in my life. Just remember, there's this backstory of this argument, this conversation I had with my parents in a parking lot. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. And while we're there in Colorado, growing in this gift of leading worship, I started to, in this larger church, I started to feel like, well, maybe, maybe this is something that I could do for a living, I could do for the rest of my life, I could lead worship, sure, we could do this, I've got all this experience. And um, really, I didn't have that much experience. I put my, we prayed about it, I put a resume out there, nationwide, I said, bring them on. Two people called. And uh, the first one was a church in Iowa City, and they called and said, hey, we would love for you to come and be a part of what we're doing, it's a church plant, we meet in a, um, we meet inside of a uh, movie theater. And if you come here, it's going to be great. We're going to build this brand new thing. I do have to tell you, though, we can't really pay you. And, uh, and I said, oh, well, strike one. And uh, then they said, and, but what we can pay you, don't worry, you could supplement that with food stamps. And I said, strike two, I'm going to have to pass, that this isn't probably where God wants me to be right now. And I was a little nervous because I thought, well, nobody else is going to call. And then about 15 years later, 15 years later, 15 years ago, um, a church in Charlotte, North Carolina reached out to me and invited me to come and be the worship arts pastor here at Good Shepherd Church. And so uh, they took a risk on me, the church took a risk on me, and I'm so grateful that you all did, and I've just enjoyed um, the pleasure and the honor of being able to, to be up here. It's humbling. It really is quite humbling. So thank you for that um, as well. Appreciate it. So over the last 15 years, I've, I've grown a lot in this church. I've made a lot of friendships. I've watched my kids grow up. My kids were one and a half and three and a half when we moved here. And uh, my, my son would run around here with like this string of drool just from here to here in this big puddle. And he jumped off those steps and bit through his lip. And um, we used to play cars out there. I mean, just watching my whole family, my, my daughter and my son come up here and go through the preschool and um, my daughter graduated, like I said, from high school and was off to college. So I've, I've grown, we've grown up here. We've watched our life grow up here. And Lauren and I just celebrated on May 24th our um, 20th anniversary. Yay, thank you. And thanks. And Lauren is truly my best friend and um, 
just the love of my life, and I'm so grateful to have her in my life and um, honored that she said yes to me all those years ago. But on our 20th anniversary, we went away and we were near Charleston. I get a phone call um, pretty early in the morning, and I look down and it says, uh, Cindy Sell, which is my mom, Cindy. And I was like, oh, my mom's calling me. I thought maybe she was calling me to wish me a ha- uh, happy anniversary or something. I pick up, and I didn't, once again, I heard the wrong voice. I heard my dad's voice, which was, uh-oh, something is wrong. Dad never calls. And I found out that day, my, my mom has been pretty sick, and uh, she is in the hospital right now um, dealing with um, stage four esophageal cancer. And uh, that was some pretty hard news to receive, and she's been in and out of the hospital for the last several months, mostly in the hospital. Um, she hasn't gone home. She can't eat. Um, she's had some pretty serious surgery along the way, and it's been a really difficult time for both of them, especially for my dad, and he's hurting pretty bad. Um, so things kind of looked pretty dire, and so I was encouraged to go out um, to see my family out um, west to go see my mom and my dad. And when I got out there, of course, my dad's pretty broken up. I'm pretty broken up. My brother's not doing so great. And we um, have this opportunity to spend some time with my um, mom and dad. And my dad's just struggling right now. He's hurting. He's scared. I don't blame him. I'd, I'd be terrified if I heard that kind of news come down on my wife and someone I loved that much was that sick. And so as I was there, I had so many times in my, my dad was sharing and talking, and we had a lot of opportunities for me to be able to share the gospel with my dad, to share faith with my dad. And at one point, my dad, if you remember this conversation of there's no God in this family, is that my dad tells me, he says, I've seen the way that you've lived your life. I've seen the way that, you, that your marriage is. I've seen the way that you've raised your kids. And it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my, in my life. But church, the, the point is, is that, yeah, maybe, maybe 24, 25 years ago, I, I said there's no God in this family, and I was right. But the point was is that the grace of God was still doing a work in my life that my dad and my mom were not ready to really receive yet. And my dad had seen the difference in the way I raised my kids and the way I loved my wife and the way I lived my life and the way I patterned my life, and it made a difference in his life. And so we started talking about faith, and I got to pray with my dad, and they live in this um, my mom's in the hospital, so I stayed with my dad in this RV, this fifth-wheel RV, and uh, it's, it's huge, but it's only got one bed in it, so I, every night I'm having to, like, shack up with my, my father, and we're, like, <laughs> cheek to cheek, and, uh, and every night he's, you know, about three in the morning, are you awake? I'm like, I am now, I go back to sleep, my goodness, and, uh, but we would stay up in the middle of the night, and we'd pray together, and we'd talk together, and he would ask me questions about all kinds of things relating to faith. And up until even now, I'm still praying with my dad, and he's still very open to those conversations. And I, I'm, I'm prayerful that one day he'll say yes to a living relationship with Jesus as well. And so when I think about the effect of grace in our lives, it's just to remember that there, there's a gift that you receive at the beginning, and you receive that gift, and you need to, to, to accept that and believe it, that if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. You believe it right here. And that happened in my life when I, was in, when I was 20 years old. And then fast forward to where I'm at now and right living, orthopraxy, seeing that, letting my testimony. And it was so great. There was someone who came up to me after the service and he gave me this last service and he gave me this passage of scripture. He said, 1 Timothy, verses four, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. 
Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, right thinking, right living. It's important to understand that tension of both of those. Now, what was really cool, I'm gonna go invite the worship team to come up and start getting ready as well. One of the conversations I had with my dad while I was there visiting with him was along the lines of talking about, um, he was talking to my brother, and my brother's going through kind of some rough stuff, and my dad's trying to encourage my brother, and at one point he says uh, to him, he goes, karma is, karma's real, son, karma is real. And I'm like, we're talking about faith, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And he says, karma is real, I really believe that. I believe that, that, that you get what you do, that you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad, I believe in that. And the whole time I'm like, oh, just, don't say anything, bite your tongue. Good conversations have happened. He's, he's starting to ask good questions. It's okay. Be patient. The time will come when you can bring that up. And the next day we're in the hospital and sure enough, I don't remember how we got to that part of the conversation, but the idea of grace came up. And I said, dad, it's funny you should say that. Remember yesterday when you brought up karma with my brother? I said, I'd like to offer you something better than karma. And that's grace. I'm gonna put this up on the screen. Grace is greater than karma. Might as well just go ahead and erase karma. Grace is greater than karma. Why? Karma says you get what you deserve. You do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Grace says you get what you don't deserve. You don't deserve this gift of grace. None of us do. None of us deserve the grace of God. The son of God who gave his life for each and every one of us by, by laying down his life and being hung on a cross for the sins of the world. And that all that you have to do is acknowledge the blood that was shed for you. That when he was dead and buried, three days later he rose from the dead. If you believe, all you have to do is believe. It's pretty amazing. You get the best gift there ever was and all you have to do is believe. And when he gives you that gift of grace, I just want you to know that grace is the gift that keeps on giving. Every single day of your life, you'll live to please the Lord. That grace will be worked out in your life so that one day when he returns and he will return, that you will be found blameless in his sight, ready and prepared for the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace is amazing. It's done some powerful things in my life. It changes the way I think, and it changes the way I live. And I pray it would do the same in your life. I'm gonna invite you to rise on your feet as you're able. And during this time, the worship team is going to be, in just a moment, is going to be leading us in a glorious, wonderful, amazing, exciting song because grace is amazing. It's not just this, I'm saved, no big deal. I want you to know at the very core and depth of who you are, that this grace leaves you breathless in awe and in wonder that he could do this thing for you. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But God is so good 
And he deserves all of our praise just because of the simple fact that he is God and he loves each and every one of you and that he gave his life and laid it down for you as a ransom for all, for many. So as the team comes and they, they share this song, I'd encourage you to lift your voice and be loud, be rowdy. Grace is amazing. It changed my life. I think it can change yours too. Amen.